This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello, welcome. Thank you for coming this evening. My name is Janine DeLombard. I'm here from the English Department at UCSB, and I'm delighted to um, introduce you to and to welcome uh, the co-producers and the co-directors of this amazing film, RBG. Um, I'd like to first introduce uh, Betsy West right here. They're both on my left, my immediate left. (laughs) Uh, Betsy West is a video journalist and filmmaker with three decades experience in news and documentaries. And you'll see a much longer, more detailed account in uh, brochures. Uh, She's the Fred W. Friendly Professor of Professional Practice in Media and Society at Columbia Journalism School. And she's also a producer and director known for Makers, Women Who Make America Video Archive. It's 2012, The Lavender Scare, 2017, and Constantine's Sword. At Columbia, she teaches classes at, uh, in reporting, video production, and documentary. And I thought I would also include people's uh, their backgrounds, because it might be helpful if you're thinking about going into film. She's a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of Brown University and holds a master's in communication from Syracuse University. Julie Cohen is a documentary filmmaker and television <laughs> news producer. Uh, as producer and director, she's best known for The Sturgeon Queen's American Veteran and I Like to Sing. She graduated magna cum laude from Colgate University and holds two master's degrees, one from Columbia Journalism School, where she was awarded the John McHugh Prize, the top award in the radio program, and the other from Yale Law School, where she was a Knight Journalism Fellow. So please welcome our guest. Hi, everybody. So the film has been wildly successful, and I, I don't want I was trying to figure out how to phrase this, especially for a documentary, right? <laughs> yes. Right? Um, yeah. And I guess I'm wondering, I've seen you modestly attribute the success um, to the celebrity of its subject, um, but when you, when you embarked on the project, did you have a sense that there would be a strong interest in it and I'm thinking about you know, getting together funding, um, or was this more of a leap of faith? You know, I think that um, Julie and I both knew that uh, Justice Ginsburg had gained a certain amount of notoriety as the notorious RBG, uh, you know, starting as you saw in the film in 2013, but that there was so much more to her story, both what she accomplished professionally uh, as a women's rights litigator in the 70s, and then, you know, the amazing personal story that we knew about because I had worked on that Makers Project and Julie had worked on it too. So um, we had a sense that this is just an incredible story, and of course you never know how, uh, you you know, shoot a documentary in the air and see what happens. And um, But we, we felt that it could do well. I think we... We're very um, gratified that it has uh, found a very wide audience. Yeah, I mean, it's always a leap of faith making a documentary, <laughs> yeah. frankly, in, in every sense. I mean, you know, are you going to get the funding? Are, is your, are your characters going to be on board? And ultimately, will you get their cooperation and their full access? Um, will you be able to put it together um, into a story that feels resonant beyond just being a simple biography of a person but really having broader uh, meaning. But in terms of 
the idea of like, did you have a sense that people were going to be interested? I, I think that question is actually answered by a group of five women here in the uh, fourth row. There aren't really that many films where you have a situation where literally at every single screening we have sometimes grown women, sometimes six-year-old girls coming to a documentary. Sometimes, you know, I mean, it's one thing when we're going to be there, but sometimes just at a regular, you know, multiplex screening, like dressed as the main character of the film. Like that shows you something about how much your subject is resonating with the viewing public. And, you know, that's a, that's a good sign. Um, the other thing, that I, it was struck, um, it seemed a daring choice to, at least at the beginning of the film, not at the very beginning, but you do follow the structure um, initially of her Senate confirmation hearing opening statement. And of course, we're all aware right now, it's a very different kind of Senate confirmation hearings that we've been watching, either on the point yes. of being incredibly bland with <laughs> Gorsuch or much more contentious <laughs> with Kavanaugh. Obviously, that was a different moment in that genre. But it's still a highly politicized moment. And I wonder if you, if you were concerned about risks of taking that cue for her, for her life story, if that was something you thought about. You know, that really didn't seem risky to us in any no. way. Basically, our editor, Carla Gutierrez, watched all four days of uh, Justice, then Judge Ginsburg's confirmation mm-hmm. hearings. And, you know, four days of confirmation mm-hmm. hearings. A lot of it is boring. We watched a lot of it, too. It's kind of boring. But it was Carla who pointed out that there were amazing moments mm-hmm. in, in those hearings in which uh, Judge Ginsburg was really telling her life story. And uh, it really gave us a great structural frame to be able to go both forward and back in time. So uh, we used it through, uh, we, you know, we returned to it uh, several times during, during the film, and it, it just seemed like a great structural device. I, didn't, I don't think we saw it as, as risky mm-hmm. in particular. Right, because you know. the fact was Justice Ginsburg's, or then Judge Ginsburg's yeah. Supreme Court confirmation hearing while it was dramatic in a certain way because her sort of very, you know, right out there, bold assertion of everything about herself was so, was so notable. Like, it was dramatic, but it wasn't particularly contentious, as, yeah. as you saw in the film. This wasn't like a moment of uh, her, her actual hearing. I mean, there, there was certainly plenty of polarization in the country at the time, uh, but... It, it wasn't the same moment that we're in now. Yeah. And it wasn't the moment that had existed a few, year, few years earlier with the Bo- either the Bork hearings or the Clarence Thomas yeah. hearings. Or, or uh, so. yeah. it's, it, was a, it was a different time. It was the beginning of the uh, Clinton administration also, and um, you know, she had a lot of support. And actually, that was, a, that was the question I wondered about, too. And it really is the case that her husband was such the leading force behind that. And do we have a sense whether she played a bigger role than perhaps was suggested? In terms of her getting nominated? Yeah, in terms of pulling the strings and kind of making it happen and taking the initiative. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can give Marty the sole credit for this, but certainly, um, you know, Judge Ginsburg was not going out there lobbying for herself, but um, I think that it... As soon as her work um, in the 70s took off, and, um, you know, there was a sense within the family, 
certainly, that she was going to become a judge, and who knows, she might have gone to the Supreme Court. Her daughter, Jane, uh, in her high school yearbook, right. wrote, uh, what, what was the phrase exactly? Something like, you know, Jane's wish to see her mother sit on the Supreme Court. Right. So when did Jane, you know, graduate from high school? I think in the mid, in the mid 70s, 70s, mid to late 70s. So obviously, this was on their radar. Um, and I think uh, Marty Ginsburg, an extremely charming, smart, connected guy, did play a role in making sure that um, Judge Ginsburg's name came before. And we actually heard a confirmation of this after the film was over. We happened to be at a, at a dinner with a lot of judges, and Bernie Nussbaum was there, who was uh, right, White House counsel the White at the House time. counsel at the time. And he told us the story of how um, he had dinner he and his wife were introduced to Judge Ginsburg and Marty at a dinner, which had, you know, kind of been arranged some months before the opening came up. And then when uh, President Clinton was going through a list of possible nominees, he came down to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and he said to Bernie Nussbaum, you know, I hear she's kind of academic and, and sort of boring. And... Uh, Bernie Nussbaum said, oh no, we had dinner and she's so charming and she's so wonderful and you really should meet her. You should really talk to her. So to me, that was a confirmation that, um, you know, it's a great story. that helped. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, I was thinking judges' bodies, and it's great because we have the, the costume in front of us in various <laughs> versions, but, you know, it's obscured by those, judges' bodies are obscured by those black robes and yet from the very beginning of the film, we're aware of her, you know, of the corporeal Ginsburg um, that we see her working out in the gym. We get the her, and then later on we hear her clerk's reference to her husband having to come, kind of sometimes remove her bodily to feed her dinner, and you know the sleep deprivation, um, and even her small stature, right? Yeah. And I guess I, I, my question about that is, um, why is it so important for us, you know, as a public, to embody her so much? I mean, if we think about, there probably won't be a bio film about um, Justice Roberts, but would we need to do that <laughs> for Justice Roberts? You know, you know what I yeah. don't ask Thurgood Marshall or Clarence Thomas, but Justice Roberts, you know. Um, I wondered about that, the embodiment. You know, well, first of all, there's something, the, ju- the judicial robes, the whole, uh, some of the pageantry around it is like very symbolic and it makes you feel like you're not talking about an actual human being. We wanted in the film to be really showing you a real human being, but I also think people that are fans of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's jurisprudence like also really want to have a sense of her as a person if, you're, if they're wanting to feel reassurance that she will stay on the court for a certain amount of years from now, be it two, be it six, like whatever, <laughs> anyone, math you, you, you want to do. Um, you know, what you're looking for is indications about, uh, you know, that have to do with physical things, like how strong is she, how healthy is she, how healthy is she, how, how tough is she, how big is she, how energetic is she, and, you know, those are issues that have become um, kind of obsessions on the American left and maybe to a certain extent on, on the right as well, and it's just like people are interested, uh, we're interested too. Yeah, um, I mean, she... 
she had talked about working out with a trainer, mm -hmm. and there had been articles about this, yeah. and the articles had generated a ton of comment, and and you know people, reporters going, I did Ruth Bader Ginsburg's workout, and, you know, and I'm it nearly broke me. Yeah, <laughs> it broke me. I mean, it was all this kind of, and in some ways, we thought, is it a myth? You know, is this crazy? Is she really planking? So on our part, it was, you know, we really had a desire to confirm the, the stories. And, um, you know, it's, it, it was important to her to talk about it for whatever reason. And it was important for us. And we had an incredible meeting with her sort of halfway through the filming process. We had not really sat down with her to talk about getting access to do some of the more personal shooting mm -hmm. that we did, you know, in her office and with her family. And at sort of toward the end of the list of things that we wanted, we very gingerly suggested, you know, and could we film you working out in the gym? And, you know, she paused for, you know, really? two or She's three. a pauser. She, she always pauses. pauses. Everything you say, right 10 seconds so of pause. So you have to, like, not get nervous that you've asked mm -hmm. something really stupid. And so we asked that, and she paused, and then she said, yes. I think that would be possible. <laughs> and we just like, we said, okay. And then I think her assistant was rather shocked that yeah. um, she had agreed to And this. the trainer was shocked trainer as well. was shocked. <laughs> but, you know, a couple sure months enough. later, huh. there we were in the gym. So, you know, to us it was important. I mean, that actually gets to another question that I had was, I, I did wonder about the prep, um, not the research so much, but just... Um, is she in her chambers where you're interviewing her when we see her? It looks no, it's in a conference room in, in the Supreme conference Court. room. Yeah, it's quite open. Um, but that's a very formal setting. Yeah, and, and yeah. I was, but there is an intimacy to those interviews, and especially when you're, you know, I, it was a nice touch to have her looking at videos of herself or you know yeah. those kinds of things. Um, and I'm wondering how much uh, time you spend and sort of under what circumstances ahead of time to create. That, because you know everyone says she's quite rela uh, reserved, and but she seemed quite relaxed with you all. Well, the beauty was that this was a project that we did over a fairly long period of time, first gradually getting the access, getting her on board with the project at all, then interviewing you know, friends and colleagues and plaintiffs from cases in the 70s, and, was sort of, and then following her around for almost a year. I always, when I hear myself say that, it sounds like we were stalking her, but like, you know, we were, we were going to events that she had allowed us to bring our cameras in, but often situations where, you know, sometimes things were public, but sometimes events where we were the only cameras uh, in the room. Um, and we sort of gradually and gingerly got to know her a bit through that. And so that, that kind of helped move to the point where some of the more personal stuff felt I mean, we like the formal setting of that of that room, but yeah, I mean, um, it's not like we call her Ruth. <laughs> right. Do you know she's just people ask justice. Yeah, she's Justice Ginsburg, um, and and yet I think she did become sort of used to us. And at these venues, we'd see her and talk to her, and you know, we had some. Uh, it was great. We went to the opera with her, to two different opera festivals with her, sort of at bookends of the project, one in Gl Glimmerglass and one in Santa Fe. And, um, you know, she came up to us very eagerly uh, in, 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 in an intermission of one of the operas and just launched into a 
conversation about the ins and outs mm -hmm. of this particular performance. And of course, we don't really know that much about, about opera. opera. Yeah. And she's a real fan. So um, we just she got more comfortable. So I think when she sat down for that interview, she you know she was ready to to play. She was ready to do it, and and it was really a, a very uh, extraordinary moment. One of the things, um, I think the film really does this loving uh, create, recreation of her family life. And, and implicit in that is the very strong Jewish culture in her mm -hmm. family. And um, you know, we think about her, grandma, her granddaughter calling her by her Jewish name. And, um, um, but that, it's interesting that that aspect of the, her identity is not as emphasized as much as her gender. And I guess, especially um, you know, in the context of the events in Pittsburgh and Squirrel Hill, um, they, they highlight the long tradition of Jewish act, liberal Jewish activism, especially the legal tradition, mm -hmm. I think, of liberal Jewish activism, and um, then the, you know, the virulent tradition of violent repression. Um, and I'm wondering if you could think, or if you could talk about um, the portrayal of her Jewishness in the film, especially in that legal tradition. And yeah, you know, we made a point to focus heavily on her identity as a woman, the discrimination she faced as a woman, um, because that's so deeply connected to the, body, the main body of her work, which was securing gender equality under the Constitution. Like, she didn't actually devote her legal career to fighting anti-Semitism. And while she had some childhood experiences that she's discussed of sort of seeing signs saying no dogs or Jews allowed um, when she traveled with her family. Um, facing down anti-Semitism wasn't a major motivating factor um, in her early life. Um, her Jewish identity and her family's immigrant identity certainly was important to her, and she does see herself fitting in the tradition of uh, progressive, intellectual, Jewish, legal, and judicial people. Like, she's, you know, she's, she's uh, written, written some, some things about that and, and, and talked about that. Um, I guess we felt, uh, you know, myself as a, as a Jewish filmmaker, I feel like her Jewishness, particularly in the scenes with the family or her childhood friends, is like so is so there that like the need to be super explicit about it wasn't huge. Although we did work in at actually at, at yeah. Betsy's um, <laughs> suggestion, like the, the you know a more specific reference to it notes. in her confirmation hearings. Yeah, right. yeah. To 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 make it clear that this this was a, a Jewish immigrant family. Uh, that the Jews were not allowed in the schools mm -hmm. because, you know, at least to get that out there. But I, I agree with, with Julie. You know, the whole arc of the story has to do with her work involving women's rights, and so yeah. that's what we were focusing on. And that actually made me wonder, too, um, the, the film highlights the cases that she argues or the cases that she decided and then increasingly dissented from um, involving discriminatory practices, right? And employment, education, benefits, voting. Um, and given the recent Kavanaugh hearings in the context of the broader Me Too movement, um, and I actually don't know this, um, it, it, does her work in this area also include sexual assault and harassment, or is that something that came up? You know, I imagine there's so much that didn't fit in the film yeah, her work, I don't think that she has... I mean, she's probably uh, 
you know, the, ma the major case on sexual harassment was in the mid-80s when she wasn't on the Supreme Court, when right. sexual harassment was actually codified, recognized by the Supreme Court. And that's not, you know, she wasn't on, she wasn't on the court then. I mean, she has spoken um, uh, very positively about the Me Too movement and about her own experiences. I mean, let's face it, as a young woman, her biggest problem was getting the job, not harassment in the job. But she has talked about, you know, the inappropriate behavior of a professor at Cornell, you know, trying to trade uh, information on a test for favors. And, you know, she's very sympathetic to that. Um, yeah. As far as, you know, in the legal work that she was doing in the 70s with the ACLU Women's Rights uh, Project, I don't believe she had a major, you know, sexual harassment as a legal was concept wasn't, wasn't really around so much. I th have a feeling it might have cut against her um, one step at a time, take cases you can win uh, philosophy as being like not a winner in that era, which it wouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, and in t your, your implied in your question is, you know, what was there some sex discrimination, uh, sexual harassment, uh, you know, major opinion or dissent that she'd written uh, that we left out for time? Uh, no. 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 And I, I was thinking more if that was something that kind of came up naturally given the world that was happening as you were, you know. Well, weirdly, you know, Me Too happened after, after we finished we the film. Finished, we finished the film, you know, last J October, Just before the Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein article in the Times, yeah, shortly before, it was just yeah. when we finished it. We, you know, it, during the period where um, the film's release, obviously that adds a whole new, um, sort of a whole new dimension, and to me, a whole new resonance to her voice of kind of, speaking up for women's rights like I just I just feel it in that context even if that's not something that we discuss with her because the the most recent hadn't happened yet she has been quite vocal um this year as we've you know continued to listen to everything she says publicly um about how strongly she feels that the me too movement has been a good thing that there's strength in numbers and that one woman's voice adds momentum to other women's voices in a way that just wasn't happening when she was younger. And there's that tantalizing image of her with Justices Sotomayor and Kagan. Um, and I'm wondering if there, if there was any conversation, again, aware that we probably didn't get everything that you, know, you have to cut, um, if she had thoughts or if there, if there was things to be said about this new generation of women on the bench. She is extraordinarily supportive of uh, her female colleagues, both, you know, lawyers, judges, and extremely happy to have those justices there. She's talked about how lonely it was when uh, Justice O'Connor stepped down and she was on her own. She did not like that. And she has spoken about how great it is to have uh, the justices Sotomayor and Kagan very outspoken and participatory. We, you know, there's a limit to what we could include in the film, frankly, and um, that was just really a decision for time that we, we, I'm glad you, I like the way you put that though, the tantalizing, <laughs> right. because, you know, we did want to include them, and right. so we included that picture very deliberately right. to make sure that they were represented, but we just, you know, didn't go any further than that. That actually gets to a question that I have, um, which is, what, what do you wish you could have 
kept in, and, and you couldn't. Well, <laughs> when we see the when we see the directors, this is cut. You know? Yeah, you know you the know? weird thing is no we have the cut. yes <laughs> no. Well, I always have the opposite reaction to films. Uh, actually, you're thinking like, oh, could we have made this part a little bit tighter? Maybe like yeah. you know, really uh, having something that really feels like it moves and has a great pace throughout feels really important to us. Though, and while there were plenty of great. Um, stories that we had that we couldn't in, that we that we didn't include. I don't think we wish that we had included it. What one example? Uh, you know, you saw the great photo of uh, Justices Ginsburg and Scalia on that elephant in uh, India in in that same talk that they gave. Uh, he told a great story about watching her go up on a parasail uh, when the two families were on vacation together. Um, it's a really funny story, but there was no image to accompany it, so we so we voted on the elephant uh, story instead. Well, thank you. I think we can open this up. Um, and I, I would welcome comments. You see there's quite a lot of us, so um, we're eager to hear from everybody. Uh, if you can, we need to do, make sure that we get a microphone to you. And also, if you can be as pithy and concise as possible so that we can fit in as many questions and answers uh, as possible. And just specifically questions would be great. Thank you. My question for you is, is all the unused footage archived and where? It's archived in our... <laughs> Not our, publicly you know. is basically the answer. Yeah. Um, well, we will, it will be living on our um, <laughs> drives, our I mean, little video we, drives for a while. Who knows? Maybe... Sometime. I mean, we do save well, it, and it probably and 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 you're right that in you know um, CNN Films, our production partner in this, will I think end up with the full interview of Justice Ginsburg into the future as well as some of the others. But you yeah. know, it's not like it's it's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. <laughs> Maybe it will go somewhere. You know, yeah. Well, or you know, no, where, where her where things her are collected, things going yeah. Schlesinger Library, or, or wherever she winds up. You know, wherever her stuff goes, maybe it will wind up there. It's certainly not being thrown away. Right, right. And now we're very lucky that you know we're not talking about huge cans of film or right. giant videotapes. I right. mean, all of this stuff exists digitally right. on, on pretty small drives, so we can save it. I was wondering what has what did. Um, Justice Ginsburg say about the film or its reception. What has she, what has she said about it since it's been released? She's been surprised by the success, or is she more like she is in the in the in the documentary when she's with her granddaughter and they're going through the book on the occasion of what her fiftieth or sixtieth birthday? No, I never read this. So I'm wondering about that. No, no, no. I think I think she's. Um She's pleased with the success. I know she's pleased with the success of the film. Basically, um, she didn't see it until uh, it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January, and she went to Park City and saw it with an audience, you know, like this, maybe bigger than this, 500 people. And so she, you know, watched it there for the first time, and we sat across the aisle from her and watched her the entire time, not looking at the screen. Was extremely nerve wracking, and um, you know she was very much engrossed. She her first comment when the music came up, um, you know the, that big operatic score at the beginning, and with the talking statues, and she turned to uh, Nina Totenberg, who was her 
a companion for that night, and she said, I like the music. <laughs> and then I turned to Julie, and I said, she likes the music. It just went on like that the yes, whole Yes, for a whole day. hour and a half. And then at the end, you know, she was, she, the first question, even though we were down in front, and she was in the audience, of course, the first question from the audience is, what does Justice Ginsburg think? And she stood up and, and said that it had... She- she had very high expectations and had, had exceeded them. And that was extremely gratifying. Yeah. And, and she has yeah. further um, yeah. expressed, I would say, really a great deal of enthusiasm yeah. about the yeah. um, box, the box office, office results. She was so very excited about She did take an interest uh, yeah. in that. And uh, I think she had some amusement in the, you know, some of the Hollywood trade press um, describing her as, in one case, a box office Avenger, and like all these, you know, making comparisons to different superhero movies. Like she got a big kick out of. We reported a lot of that to her, and she yeah. really seemed to enjoy it. So, as you say, the majority of her legal career was devoted to equal rights, and so I'm wondering if you had any footage of her mentioning the Equal Rights Amendment. Um. You know that is that's a that's a very interesting question. I have to say it's like not the I think it's the most significant part of her career is women's rights. But obviously there are other aspects of the law that she you know has played a huge role in. She's an expert in procedural law, or whatever. That said, uh, she has been very supportive of the Equal Rights Amendment, and um, she was in the seventies. But of course, it ran into huge political problems, and she found. A way around, you know, by uh, employing the Fourteenth Amendment. However, um, she has said, I think even recently, right. that uh, she would support the Equal Rights Amendment because it would just be a stronger protection. Because you know, Supreme Court decisions can be reversed; things can happen, and an, an amendment might be sturdy or might be might be stronger. So, you know, whether right now, I don't see that it's that realistic um, venture, but she would support it. Yeah, I mean, she supported it when it originally came up at the time, and she has in recent, over the past couple years, we we do actually have some footage of her saying that she would support any core rights amendment. Ginsburg did make that announcement uh, about Trump when she spoke out about him um, before he was elected, and then she had to make that apology, and I was wondering if when you were speaking with her, if it ever came up about her speaking about her own personal opinions about things like that in this political climate, or if she, if you guys steered away from that? She continues to sort of stick with where she was in the film, that her having, having spoken up personally um, you know, about her personal political feelings was an unwise um, idea and something that a judge uh, you know, sh- really sh- shouldn't do, and that she, she regrets... Um, having done. Um, you know, beyond that, though, she did make the case, as you heard in the film, that that shouldn't, um, you know, the, the fact that she has opinions shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone and shouldn't put her in a situation where she couldn't rule fairly on other issues. But she wasn't, like, spouting off uh, political political thoughts uh, 
to, to us as as, um, as, uh, as the process unfolded. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not as if she was sort of like every day saying like, well, off the record, like this happened and this happened. And, you know, and I'm the other when just, you know, Chief Justice Roberts and I were, you know, fighting in conference about like whatever, you know, she has, she has a pretty good awareness of, um, of what her role and her position is and what she can and can't uh, say. So one thing that stood out to me in the film was a few times you talked about how she really worked to bring people um, together on the court and how she talked about that life lesson with her mother of never responding in anger. And I was wondering if those, um, those portions of the film were intentional about, you know, in response to the current political climate and... Um, they, I think they do resonate uh, uh, when you think about the current political climate, but they were not intentional uh, because they really do represent something that is very deep in uh, Justice Ginsburg's belief. I mean, she feels, uh, and as her mother taught her, that um, she needs to move past her anger. We're not saying she doesn't get angry, but um, I think she's a very, both an optimistic and a practical person. And, you know, the practical part of her sees where she wants to go and thinks about how can she get there and thinks, you know, maybe spouting off about this thing is not going to get me to where I want to go. And that's just, that's just the way she is. And, you know, it's, I did one of these Q&As with a... a, a, a women's rights litigator from the 1970s who was talking about back then some of us felt that Ruth Ginsburg wasn't aggressive enough. She wasn't pushing enough. Uh, she should have been uh, you know, taking on more cases or just going further with the law. And she said, of course, we were wrong. She was right. Because what she did very carefully, step by step, and very strategically, and employing you know men as the as the victims of uh, gender discrimination in in a way to explain what was going on to these justices, it turned out to be you know very solid. And it and it if you think about it, in the early seventies, what she was arguing was a radical idea. People did not believe that men and women should be treated equally under the Constitution. People believed that women needed to be put on a pedestal. She explained why that was a cage. Now that idea, even among, you know, perhaps not the far right, but it is generally accepted in our society. We don't argue about that anymore. And I think that's because of how careful she was in, in arguing these things. So... That's her approach. Um, you know, she's got a great legal brain. She's not an activist. You know, it's not like she's against activism. She's very much supported the women's movement. She supports, you know, supported Gloria Steinem. Um, she used her legal brain to, to get to where she wants to go, and I think that there are some life lessons in, in her approach. And perhaps that's an excellent note to end on. I want to thank you because... I think we've heard so much, especially um, with the latest judicial nominations, that the right has been much more aware of the importance of the judiciary than perhaps progressives have. And I think this film is a big part of a kind of public consciousness about the importance of the judiciary, and which is, again, an opportunity to remind everyone, no matter what side you're on, you vote tomorrow, the 14th Amendment matters, these things matter. Right. Um, but thank you yeah. very much, both yeah. of you, for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.